Morning. Fantastic. So um, today we're going to be talking about, uh, we're going to do a kind of like a mini series in our series. So if you remember, our series is about the New Testament church. So how the new church sort of started from Jesus giving out the commission and then Pentecost and then the church kablamo gets going. Um, that's a spiritual term, by the way, um, and you'll find it not in here. Uh, so, it, but the church gets rolling, and we wanted to spend some time looking at what happened and how the church did that, and trying to both give encouragement about the stuff that the early church really got right, but also to explode some of the myths and some of the romanticism about the early church that quite often actually ends up being a bit of a burden, as we're all trying to live up to something that actually is frankly impossible in a church. And as you know, the more people you have in a church, the more awkwardness you have. Because frankly, church people are just a pain in the neck, and they're awkward and strange and quirky and unusual, and it's always been the greatest miracle of the modern age that the church has su survived. Such a sort of disparate bunch of weirdos all crammed together and not just actually managing to stick together, but actually managing to do some good stuff. I mean, isn't God good? Yes. So in that sense, understanding the church and the amazing thing that God has done with that is a really helpful thing. But on the other hand, it isn't helpful to be massively romanticized about the early church and how amazingly perfect it was and how everything went brilliantly, when in fact it didn't. So that's what we're doing. Anyway, in that series, we're going to do a little mini-series about four areas that actually not only did the church get absolutely right, but that we continue to need to get absolutely right. And these are the big four, which is the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and prayer that we read that the, the fellowship devoted themselves to. So we're going to start looking at the apostles' teaching today. Next week, Arlene is going to talk about fellowship which is going to be good. So we've had John doing worship for the first time. I hope it's not the last time, mate. That was fantastic. Thank you so much. And Arlena, is this your first ever sermon in this church ever? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey. No pressure. So, um, I, I, um, but we're going to look at these because they're so important. So, and that's what we're going to do. And the question is, why are these so important? Why are these big four so important? And the answer is because they're the things that Jesus really emphasized. So Jesus really emphasized these. And to some extent, we're quite familiar with the fact that Jesus initiated breaking bread together. And let's never underestimate the spiritual power of that witness and of that gathering. We know that Jesus really emphasized that the church should meet, that we should love one another, that actually the way we relate one to another and treat one another and behave is a key witness. And as I said, one of the reasons it's a key witness is because we are all such awkward, difficult people. And if we can manage that, then something spiritual really has to be happening, and that's important. 
We know that Jesus emphasized prayer. In fact, more than that, He taught us a new way of praying. And I don't mean the words, but the concept of coming to God as a father, to having that interpersonal relationship with God, and prayer being a natural part of ordinary living. I know Mark talked a while back about how he was um, reconnecting with, with the who Jesus is, and actually his brothers, and how him and his brothers used to play fight, and the concept of play fighting with Jesus, which just is really right. There's there's that intimacy, and Jesus brought that and said, this is what prayer is supposed to be like, which is fantastic. However, we quite often overlook the fact that Jesus was the one who initiated the teaching of the church. I know that sounds like a really obvious thing when I stand here and say it now, but but Jesus did, and Jesus was a really, really, really difficult and radical teacher who said some really, well, frankly, awkward things. And it has been, as we know, the mission of many, many people in the church over many, many centuries to edit out the really difficult bits that Jesus said in order to make the church considerably more palatable, both to the people inside and to the people outside. This is, of course, not really what Jesus intended for us to do, uh, but it's, it's what's happened often. But Jesus said this in the Great Commission, didn't he? He said, you know, we've to go into all the world and we've to make disciples, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded, which is quite a charge. Now, the grammar on that, just by the way, makes it unclear whether Jesus had beforehand sat the apostles down and given them a list of commands of what to teach people, or whether, in fact, Jesus had commanded people to go, the apostles to go and teach the gospel. It doesn't really matter, but one way or the other, the apostles got sent out to teach what it was that Jesus commanded. One of the things that we have to remember about this is that they were sent to teach everything. Everything. So the palatable and the unpalatable. So not just the be jolly nice, but the whole sentence, be jolly nice or else, which is slightly less palatable, isn't it? Now, in that we know that there is salvation, but the reason that there's salvation is that there's judgment. We know that there is new life in Jesus, but we know the reason there's new life in Jesus is because there is the threat of eternal spiritual death. One is, one is unpalatable, the other one we like, but one comes with the other, and the teaching of the whole gospel. So, I just want to talk about three things, because essentially this is how it works. And, and genuinely, I'm not oversimplifying this, it's going to sound a bit simple, But actually, once we start to unpack it, see, this is far from simple. But essentially, the whole of New Testament teaching, starting with Jesus, boils down to three things. Three things. Belief, attitude, behavior. And the most difficult bit of all of Jesus' teaching was this, that all three should align in the way that we are. So belief, attitude, behavior, and that they should be aligned. Now, that's very easy to say, 
Really not the easiest thing to do, don't know about you. Maybe it's just me. But Mark's already used the word authentic. And one of the elements about us being effective as Christians is, of course, that we are authentic. What we say and what we do adds up. But what we say we believe and how we deliver it adds up. And that's a challenge. So here we go. Let's start with belief, because belief seems like the easiest. Okay, so Jesus was very challenging when he told people what to believe. One of the things that Jesus said that really upset people was that he challenged a sort of traditional understanding of the Old Testament. When Jesus said, well, actually, and you know if you read this in the Scripture, well, that isn't actually what it means. This is another one of Jesus being unpalatable. Uh, And there's the trouble with what Jesus, because he said our understanding of the Bible is not what it was meant to be. Jesus said that there are revelations about me that you are going to find difficult. There's that sort of perpetual thing uh, in Judaistic thinking, which is about let's look for the Messiah. But actually the really good thing about perpetually looking for the Messiah is he never actually turns up. Because if he turned up, well, that would kind of ruin everything, wouldn't it? And there's, there's the challenge, is we like the idea. I remember listening to Billy Connolly not long ago. He's getting quite old. And he was talking about, um, you know, how he's, he's old and he's going to die. And, uh, and, and there, there'll be a spiritual place for him. Well, one of the really fantastic things about being just so unbelievably vague about things is you can kind of create it to mean whatever you want it to mean. This is a really, really awful thing about Jesus. He just doesn't let you do that. He makes it quite clear. So in a spiritual place, what do you mean by that spiritual place? Well, it might not be good. I, I know, look, it's not my, I didn't write this. This is not my fault. I know. But, but there's the thing, is that the reality is that Jesus was very challenging. But also Jesus referenced the kingdom of God in a very revolutionary way. And he did it in a way that was actually the opposite from being awkward. It was actually fantastic. Let's define what the kingdom of God is like. The kingdom of God is the restoration of the human being. The kingdom of God is a place where we can be what we need to be, but actually live in a way that we need to live. That's a fantastic thing. So, good news and bad. Challenge and reassurance. Rescue as well as danger. Fantastic. And Jesus taught that way, and he was uncompromising. So, What is so challenging about this? Well, the challenge for us as Christians is this, that we've got to kind of sort out what it is we believe. Because see, most of us as Christians, I'm including myself here, right, what we believe is frankly not that solid. I, I, I know, but really, I've spent a long time dealing with people, and this is what I've figured out about people. This is not rocket science, by the way. 
But essentially, we accumulate all sorts of stuff from everywhere. And in the end, when you talk to Christians about what they believe, and I'm including myself here, okay, there's, a, there's, there's whatever we've learned from the Bible, there's our favorite people telling us things that the Bible says that we've never actually checked, so it may or may not say that, but we like it, so we kind of just absorb it. Then there's our culture and our upbringing and all those sort of beliefs that we, you know, build up, you know, essentially, you know, all the best Christians have got short hair uh, and, and, you know, and a side parting and, uh, you know what I mean, real preachers wear a suit, all that kind of stuff, you know what I mean? Um, you can't really lead worship without a wind machine. That's important. All the, whatever it is that we've accumulated, plus our family values, you shouldn't be doing that. You know, good Christians keep their elbows off the table. Uh, all of those kind of, we accumulate. And then there's this third element, which I don't know the best way to describe it, but frankly, it's just superstition. We just accumulate all sorts of mad superstition. I was at a church recently who were talking about sacking their pastor. They're talking about pa- sacking their pastor. Here's why. Just telling you, this is in Britain. Okay? So they have a big communion table here with, you know, with the carved front. I don't know. I grew, I grew up in church that had that. A big communion table like that. We, we, by the way, we have a communion table. Uh, for the last, I don't know how many years, it's been in there and it's used for coloring in. It's fab. And this is the kind of religion I like. Anyway, he wanted to talk to the kids. This past wanted to talk to the kids. So to make a bit of room, he just picked up the edge and slid it along and then went to talk to the kids. And that apparently was enough. That was enough for some people to want the guy sacked. I mean, that's superstition. That's not just legalism. That's superstition. This is ridiculous. Anyway, there's my point. My point is that we are none of us that sound. The Apostle Paul says, and remember, the Apostle Paul wrote some pretty heavy, clever stuff. But he said, we just sort of see through a glass like it's sort of dark. We only see in part. We only understand in part. And it's the reality is that Getting what we should be believing straight is a lifelong journey. And part of it is bringing the good stuff in, and part of it is trying to offload. Do you know what I mean? All the things that we accumulate that have actually got nothing to do with anything. And sometimes we get more uptight about the nonsense and and are far too sort of, um, you know, complacent about the truth. But belief becomes important because belief drives what we do. You know what I mean? Belief drives what we do. And we have all sorts of beliefs about all sorts of mad things, about what people should and shouldn't do, about life and about death and about birth and about this and about that. And about, I, I, can I tell you one of the ones that I, I, I'll, I'll keep to time, but here's the thing. This, this one I love. Can I just tell you this one I love, right? Which is this thing that the church is full of hypocrites. I love this because the church is full of hypocrites. Talk to somebody who said this. 
Um, and they were saying, you know, I don't normally go to church, but the church is full of hypocrites. So, okay, why were you at church? Said, oh, well, we got our little one christened. Why did you get your little one christened? Well, just in case. So, let's figure this out. So, you don't believe anything. You went to church. You made a load of promises in front of everybody that you have no intentions of keeping because the person that you don't believe in might exist, and if they do, by doing this, somehow he'll be impressed. I'm just trying to work out who's the hypocrite in this church right now. It's fantastic. How do you develop that kind of belief system? And I would love to tell you that that was an original and unique piece of thinking, but I can tell you this is now part of British culture. How did that accumulate? Where did that come from? I love it. It's brilliant. By the way, I'm, I'm not saying that to be judgmental. I'm just saying that to say, how does our thinking move in that direction? It is the human capacity to think utter nonsense is without limit. Honestly, really, you, you have the capacity to just think like an idiot without any effort whatsoever. And I want you to know, so do I. And it is incredible. So belief becomes really important. However, our theology is the same. And Christian theology, Christian theology needs a lot of attention. Because actually, over the years, I don't, I'm including the reformed Christian theology of the last 300 years, is actually influenced by ancient Greek pagan philosophy. It's influenced by the political manipulations of Christendom. It's manipulated by uh, the country and the culture that we're in. It's manipulated just by all sorts of things that we've accumulated. So getting it right is really, really important. And we need to focus on what the Bible actually teaches as opposed to what we think it should teach. And this is what the Bible teaches very clearly. We are not what we should be. And the wages of that is death. But it doesn't have to be because what is wrong can be put right, not because we are anything, but because Jesus has paid the price and can turn our life around. Unless we start there, The rest is deception. So, Jesus talked a lot about attitude, and attitude was a very important thing. Jesus did a lot about telling people what their attitude towards God should be. They talked a lot about what our attitude towards others should be, but he also talked a lot about what our attitude towards ourselves should be, and he challenged a lot of our thinking. He said that we should be merciful and loving and servanthood, childlike, that we shouldn't be judgmental, that we shouldn't be unforgiving, we shouldn't be complacent. And Jesus said that the bad attitudes in our heart are revealed to God even if we try and hide them from everybody else. Of course, there's somebody other than God that we can't hide them from. Who's that? Ourselves, yes. You see, the great thing about looking at the truth is this, is that you're already not fooling you. 
You already know. I already know. You don't know me, but I know me. You know what I mean? When I have a bad attitude, I know I have a bad attitude. One of the brilliant things, do you do this, right? Here, this, how pointless is this, but I do this. Do you ever get defensive with your actual self? <laughs> do, do you know when you've got a bad attitude and nobody knows but you and you still go to yourself, well, they did that. And, and it's like, who are you telling? I mean, do you do that? What an idiot I am. I'll tell you, seriously, I just, I amaze myself sometimes. But it's, it's true. It's just true. So attitudes is incredible. Having the right attitude, but your attitude to everything is really controlling. Can I tell you something that maybe it hasn't occurred to you, but this is what Jesus taught, that our attitude is the driver for our spiritual blindness. Spiritual blindness comes from attitude. That says that every human being has personal control over their own ability to have spiritual insight. Jesus said this, don't see because the hearts are hardened. They don't understand because they're looking elsewhere. Attitude is the driver to overcome spiritual blindness. That's what Jesus taught. What's our attitude? Have we already figured it out? I, I know I've discovered all sorts of things that I really like the sound of. Do you know you read sort of authors of books, Mark was reading one, or you hear things on the TV, whatever. Do you do this? I know I'm asking this quite a lot, but do you do this? Do you know when you're looking for a sort of viewpoint on something and when you hear it, the key is then not to look any further in case somebody says something which upsets that. Do you know what I mean? You kind of just stick to the subject now because you've got it sorted. Yeah. What kind of an attitude is that? That's not a searching attitude, is it? It's like somebody has now defined what I think in a way that I'm comfortable thinking it, therefore I'm now going to stop looking for any other way to think about this. Fantastic. Attitude really does contribute towards spiritual blindness, but we have to work on that. The New Testament talks a lot about attitude and about having our attitude. What does Paul say? Paul says, our attitude should be like that of Christ Jesus, who, although being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Our attitude is what challenges us. So why do the apostles teach about belief? Because belief is really important, and what we believe controls how we live, but what we believe is a bizarre conglomerate of good sense and absolute nonsense, and we need to keep working on figuring out what's right and what's not. It's a discipline. It's ongoing. We can't just teach it once. Why do the apostles teach and talk about attitude? Because attitude gives us the ability or takes away the ability to have spiritual insight. And we control that. That's our discipline. That's us. The last one, of course, is the obvious one. Behavior. We do. We do. Jesus taught this, that what we do comes out of here. What we say comes out of here. 
So what we believe and what our attitude is is clearly going to be really important. But we know that people see what we do. And we see what we do. Last time I'll ask this. Do you do this? Right, so you know what you should do. But you don't want to. Has that ever happened to you? No. no. <laughs> so just me then. Yeah. You know what you're supposed to do. You don't want to. Right. So you come up with a reason not to do it. Even though you know you should do it. And you're not going to do it. And then you notice that you ought to do it and you're not. And then you get defensive with yourself again. Even though nobody knows this. What are we like? People are mad, aren't they? It's just, but what we do is so important. And in the church, we are under pressure to get our behavior right inside and out. We need not to become legalistic. Jesus talked about that, about hand washing and Sabbaths. And we need to not be legalistic, but we need to understand the truth. We need to understand our position in terms of authority, in terms of pride, in terms of prayer, in terms of discipline. We need to get our behavior right. But the other thing is we need to get our behavior right out as well. If we say we believe this, you know, was that interesting thing about, uh, was it the guy who said who came into church and dropped a hand grenade? In, in the middle of the church, and there was mayhem, and all sorts of people went screaming out and whatever. And, and when everybody who was going to leave left, he picked up the hand grenade and put it back in, and he said, okay, so now we're talking to all the people who really do believe in life after death. <laughs> because they were behaving like they really did. And it's put your money where your mouth is time. We are called to be authentic disciples. The New Testament tells us that nothing is worth anything if it isn't translated into action. Before that, it's all talk, but it's not even truth. If you believe this, you will have this attitude. If you have this attitude, you will behave in this way. And it's fairly easy to back it around the other way and go, okay, you do not behave like this. So you do not have this attitude. So although you say you believe this, in reality, I can't see that you really do believe this. That makes sense, doesn't it? I know that's a bit challenging. It's supposed to be. This is the sort of, this is the teaching of the New Testament, the apostles' teaching, undressed. We, we, we won't cut the edges off. We won't take off the bits that are not that are not comfortable or, or are difficult to deal with. The thing about the apostles' teaching, as Jesus commanded it, is this, is it faces you and me up with you and me. And that's really uncomfortable. The ideal for me is that I focus on you. I look at your belief and your attitude and your behavior, uh, and, uh, and, and frankly, how disappointing it is. And, uh, <laughs> And, and how it could be so much better, and how I've figured out how that could be. And that works very well. 
But the reality is that that's not the deal. The deal is that the true gospel is that we can live with us without dressing us up to be something we're not. I know how bad I am. Jesus does, and he's working on it. The more I shy away from what I'm really like, the less authentic I am. The more my attitude is to cover myself up, like in the Garden of Eden, the more spiritually blind I become. But the apostles' teaching is about truth. So here's the thing. The apostles' teaching reveals truth. We need to work on truth every day, every week. We mustn't ever assume that we've got it all packed up and not keep looking. We have to do that. The apostles' teaching challenges our attitude, and it's our attitude. I don't know if you've realized it. Did you realize that you were in control of how spiritually blind you are? Did you realize that? You control that. Our attitude is what decides what is spiritually available to us, and we have that. And finally, that we get convicted by the Holy Spirit when our behavior doesn't align. And we've got three choices. Number one is we can behave ourselves in a line. Number two is that we can fall out with the Holy Spirit. And number three is that we can just try and ignore it for as long as we possibly can. Option one is the best, but it's up to you. Okay, so here we go. Do you know Jesus? Have you put your faith in Him? Is He working on your life? If not, then meet him today. Happy to introduce you to him. People in this church meet Jesus all the time. Could be your turn. Have you been challenged about your attitude or your behavior? What are you going to do about it? What are you, you know your options. What are you going to choose? And finally, is it time that we as a church and that we as individuals worked harder so that our behavior aligned with our attitude, aligned with our belief, so that when we told people what we believed, they could see our attitude and observe our behavior and believe that we believe what we say we believe. Thank you. I'm going to pray. Lord Jesus, it's so hard to be authentic. I just want to confess my own hypocrisy that a lot of times it's do as I say and not as I do. Lord, that I duck out of things, that I cop out of things. I choose convenience over obedience. Lord, I just accept that there are times when I say I believe things and when I'm put under pressure, I behave with fear or anxiety uh, that doesn't reflect that I really do believe that. Lord, I accept that I have an attitude where I do like things nice and straightforward, and sometimes I stop looking because I feel I like how it is. But I want to be open, Jesus. I want to be open. Make me a teachable person so that what it is that you really teach is what really affects me and makes me someone who's more like you. I just pray in Jesus' name. Amen.